Um, we're going to have a time of prayer now before Jit speaks to us. And I thought it would be good if we actually stood in a circle because we're small enough to do that rather than face forward. Um, so if you want to leave your chair and form a We especially pray this evening for the Overseas Mission Fellowship, OMF. As a church, we support Rod and Glenda Thomas, who work with OMF in Sendai in Japan. We pray for their work with survivors of the tsunami in 2011, many still living in temporary housing. Rod and Glenda and the small church they pastor work amongst some of these people, demonstrating the love of God and revealing the Good Shepherd. We pray for the small church to grow in courage and trust. We all of us know of people who need healing. We pray for them now using words from Psalm 69. I'm hurt and in pain. Give me space for healing and mountain air. Let me shout God's name with a praising song. Let me tell his greatness in a prayer of thanks. For those we know who are hurting and in pain, we ask God that in your will they are healed. Jesus, the good shepherd, gives space for healing and mountain air, air that is cool and fresh and restorative. And that we will shout God's name with praising song, telling of your greatness in thankfulness. In faith, let us call out now the names of those we know who are in need of healing in the name of Jesus. Jesus, these are people we love. We long to see miracles in their lives. Come, Lord Jesus. now for Layla here with us this evening. Perhaps those near her would just put a hand on her shoulder. Mm -hmm. 
for the coming week, for the work we do, for the friends we make, for the emails we receive and respond to, for the conversations we have, for the food we cook and the meals we eat, for the decisions we make. We give all to God, that we may live out our lives for his glory. Amen. Please take a seat. Our reading this evening is from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 11 to 16 and can be found on the Church Bibles next to you uh, on page uh, 1076 and on the screen in front of you. John 10, starting at verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep hen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. This is the word of the Lord. much. Can everyone hear me okay? Great. Well, do keep your Bibles open at that passage. Uh, we're going to be digging into it in just a moment. Feeling a bit seasick here. Hang on. Oh, well. We've been going through in the evening service over the past uh, couple of months the I am statements of Jesus, which is in the Gospel of John. And he gives seven profound statements as to who he is and what he's about, and a quick test to see if people can remember what they are. Can you shout them out so far? We've had. I am the gate. That was last week. Well done. That's the easiest one. What else have we had? I'm the bread of life. The very first one we looked at, John 6. I'm the light of the world. Haven't quite looked at that one. That was a double bluff because that is all the ones we've looked at. <laughs> okay. 
But tonight we're looking at I Am the Good Shepherd, which of course is actually one of the most well-known of the I Am statements of Jesus. And it's actually one of the most friendly, one of the most uh, easy to understand, and one of the most profound, I would say. It's one that uh, has engendered a lot of passion and a lot of comfort for many in times of need. A few years ago, I happened to have the great privilege of visiting Rome in the middle of summer, which is a bad idea, actually, um, because it's very warm and very polluted, (laughs) and drivers in Rome are absolutely crazy. Uh, But one of the things that I did as soon as I got there was to go to the Roman catacombs, which uh, are the early Christian martyrs' burial site that used to be just outside the city wall, but actually is in Rome Central now. And they're dug into the ground, and there are layers and layers of burial chambers. And on those burial chambers, there are various signs and insignias that are inscribed, kind of proclaiming the Christian faith. But one of them, one of the key ones, is that of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And it's a very simple symbol. A simple symbol. Is that actually a tongue twister? I think it is, isn't it? And it's of Jesus as a shepherd carrying a sheep around his neck. And they carved them into the rocks next to these burial chambers. And I was really profoundly struck that these were guys that actually had probably, a lot of them, been killed for their faith. Most of them were martyrs at that point in these early burial chambers. And they had been fed. Hello, am I okay for sound? I've just dropped. Great, I'm back up. And when they're thinking about, well, what should we say about their faith? What should we say about what they believed and put their trust in? What they put their trust in is in Jesus, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for them. And therefore, they're more than happy to lay down their life for him. And they're putting their trust that in, in life or in death, that he was going to shepherd them. He was going to look after them. It's a profound image that uh, stayed with me. If you ever go to Rome, commend going to have a look at those chambers. And of course, this imagery of a shepherd is one that has uh, stayed with us throughout the generations as one of the key ways we understand how God is with us. One of the best known scriptures, even if you're not a Christian, is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Sung at the end of the Vicar of Dibley or in Songs of Praise. But deep things. But as with things that actually we can become very familiar with, when we come to John chapter 10, we can miss a lot of things if we don't just take a step back and look at what Jesus is trying to say with fresh eyes, really. So what does he mean when he says, I am the good shepherd? And I want to suggest three preliminary kind of things that we need to do before we actually dig into it. Three lenses, almost, to see what's going on here very clearly. And the first one is actually to do with biblical fulfillment, when he says, I am the good shepherd. You see, throughout the Old Testament, this shepherd imagery reaches a climax where the prophecies of uh, prophets such as Ezekiel and Zechariah and Jeremiah, who all speak about a coming shepherd, He's going to replace all the bad shepherds, all the bad leaders of Israel who'd failed them, who'd stopped them from following God and actually just become very selfish and robbed them of their inheritance and their rights. And they are longing for this. And they 
hear about from these prophets' mouths. Someone who's going to come, who's going to shepherd them rightly. Someone who's actually God himself. Let me read some words from Ezekiel 36. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek seek out my sheep. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them injustice. I realize that these words had been over the people of Israel for centuries. That was about six centuries before Jesus' time. And they'd been waiting for this. They'd been waiting for this. Second thing we need to think about is actually, what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd? Interestingly, the word here for good can actually mean a number of other words as well. It can have the the sense of beautiful. It's okay to translate this as, I am the beautiful shepherd. It can also be translated as noble. I am the noble shepherd. Or the morally good shepherd. When Jesus' first listeners heard this, they would have had all these words come to mind. All this flavor to this one word, good. And I wonder what you think about when you hear the word good. What is good? What's good to the taste? A nice juicy apple that is good to the taste. That isn't foul that you throw away. What's good in life that you enjoy that is good for you? All those connotations, all those angles. Actually, Jesus means to be applied to himself. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And then lastly, there's some personal implications for us here today as Jesus claims this. Because whenever we talk about God's goodness or Jesus' goodness, immediately in culture around us and actually sometimes for our lives personally, there are objections. And I want to start by saying it's okay to have those objections. For culture around us, they can't equate the idea of an all-powerful God and an all-loving God that allows evil and suffering in the world and say, well, something's wrong there. Either he's not all-powerful, or he's not all-loving, or he just doesn't care, or he doesn't even exist. Many would say that, actually. But actually, many of us will have had experiences, tough experiences, broken experiences, and we may not come to that level of questioning, but we may very well have those questions about Jesus' goodness. Is he the good shepherd? Has he been a good shepherd to me? Some of those questions might be raised away for many years. Some of them might be very close to the surface. Is he actually good? I wanted to do that as a way of introduction because Jesus explains why here this evening, why in our lives actually, we can actually say that he is the good shepherd for the whole world and for us personally and I just want to draw out two really simple reasons 
And the first is, he's the good shepherd because he knows you. And he invites you to know him. And the second is that Jesus is the good shepherd because he laid down his life for you. Let's just look at those very briefly. Firstly, Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows you. And he invites you to know him. Verse 14. Let's read this again. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. The context of the time is really key here because unlike in today's uh, farming techniques, you can have mass shepherding of a flock of hundreds, even thousands in certain countries. There, like I was explaining last week, actually, it wasn't as large a flock and that flock would have been known intimately by the shepherd. He would have known every single bit of that flock, every single sheep, every single nuance and uh, characteristic of them en masse and also individually because they were important to him, they were valuable to him, they were his livelihood. So, for example, he would know their individual tendencies. That one over there tends to go astray and wander off in wrong directions. That one over there is the one that tends, tends to lead others into trouble. Or that one over there is really easily contented. He's easy to deal with. He would have actually known each and every one of those characteristics of all the different sheep. He would have known their personal histories. He would have known of per past injuries that perhaps they had suffered, present things that each one of these sheep was struggling with. He would have actually given each one of these sheep a name, a kind of a nickname. That one's called Bumpy over there. That one is called Fussy. That one is called The Leader. He would have given each one of them a name. And he would have taken time to know all that he could about each one of those sheep because they were valuable to him. They were important to him. He cared about them. And so when Jesus says that he's the good shepherd who knows his sheep, that's what he's saying about you and I. That actually we're valuable to him. That he knows every single possible thing he can about us. And we're valuable to him not because it's his means of livelihood or financial gain. We're valuable to him for no other reason that, than that he loves us and that he cares about us. No other reason. Interesting, in the New Testament, there are two different words for the word to know. One, called edo, is an intellectual, theoretical knowledge. And the other one, gnosko, is actually a deep, relational, intimate knowledge. And you can guess which one Jesus uses here. He's talking about a deep, relationship where you get to know each other, experience one another, a deep revelation of one another, and that's the knowledge Jesus speaks about when he says, I know my sheep, when he says, I know you. It was used of uh, marriage, it was used of deep friendship, it was used of intimate bonds, but Jesus actually has all knowledge, all that theoretical knowledge whole universe that actually also has that intimate knowledge of your ways of who you are all your characteristics the nicknames that he'd give to you 
your tendencies. There's it all. In the uh, 1991 film, The Green Card, Andy McDowell and Gerald uh, Depardieu uh, play two people who have a, a sham marriage, a fake marriage. And this is to get Gerard Depardieu's uh, character a green card to come and live and work in America. And they have to pass a test to show that actually they are in a proper marriage. And the test is that this immigration inspector is going to come at the end of the film and test them on their knowledge of each other. And they spend months memorizing as much as they can about each other. And it comes to that final test. And Gerard Depardieu's character does really, really well until the very end where he's asked, so what's her favorite shampoo? And he, he stutters and he stumbles and says, oh no, I always get that one wrong. And the inspector knows straight away, okay, he's in it for the wrong reason. And he doesn't get the green card, but as, because it's a rom-com, it all ends up well, and they end, actually end up falling properly in love as you can imagine it was going to. But when Jesus says that he knows us, there's nothing fake about it. There's no sham about it. There's no pretense. He really does. He knows what you're like in front of people who you know and love, in front of people who you find tricky, and in front of no one at all when you're by yourself at home. He knows who you are. He knows your strengths what he's blessed you with in terms of gifts. And he knows your weaknesses. He knows your desires, the ones you've said out loud and those that you hold deep in your heart. And he knows your hurts, the ones from years ago, the ones the experienced this week. He knows your brilliance when you're out there and you're shining. And he knows your brokenness when you're tucked away and hurting. He knows it all. King David, in some well-known words from Psalm 139, says this. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. He knows all your ways. From the silly things like the way that you like your eggs to the deep things of the way you want life to go. He knows it all. Now for you, that might be a threatening thing. It's Jesus who knows you that well. Well, I'm not sure I want that. That sounds a bit too much. That sounds like there are things that I don't want come, to come to light he knows about. But just as with a shepherd and the flock, the imagery here, so it is with him and us. That the reason he knows so well is because he cares so much. And that care is always going to translate into what is best for us. As he does his work of healing and restoration and and shining and polishing and knocking bits off life. He does it all with that intimate knowledge for the best reasons, for the best reasons in your life. He does it because actually he knows where he wants to lead you. He 
we've just been praying for one person about where God would lead them, but actually he knows for each one of you where he wants to lead you. And with that intimate knowledge of who you are, he knows exactly how to do it. And so there's a call here, actually, I believe, to surrender to a loving, good shepherd who knows you and knows your ways. To say, okay, Lord, you know me. You know all the things that I'm going through. You know the guitar I'm about to knock over. You know the frustrations. And I could try this myself. I could try to do this by my own means and methods. And you know what they look like. But actually, Jesus, you know this inside out. And I want you to be that good shepherd for me. Please, would you come and do this? It might be here tonight that you need to do that very openly before the Lord. Knowing that he sees it all. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden. Well, the startling thing in the text is not only does Jesus know us, but actually he invites us to know him. It says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And the word used there is, of course, the same word, that same sense of intimate knowledge that Jesus has of us. He says we're to have of him, what he is like his ways, his means, his tendencies and desires, what's in his heart, what he longs for. It's the same word. It's the same thing. It's a two-way thing. And he says, even more provocatively, it's going to be like my relationship with the Father. Just as I know my Father, my Father knows me, so you are to know me and I am to know you. That intimate, eternal, everlasting relationship between the Father and the Son where Jesus can say in the same chapter, I and the Father are one. He invites us into it and says, this could be for you and me. The same level of personal, deep knowledge of each other. Now that's, of course, again, a scary thing. But Jesus invites us into that kind of knowledge. I spent, uh, personally, I spent three years in theological college and we introduced our new curate this morning and was reflecting with him about all the things that we learnt at theological college in terms of doctrine both systematic and historical doctrine and Layla if you get in you've got this to look forward to but actually that was just theory the deep things, the intimate knowledge with Jesus and who he's really like and the experiential walk with him takes a lifetime not just three years it's a privilege to get to know him like that it's a privilege to know the creator of the universe like that and through knowing that actually knowing that we can trust him as the good shepherd that he really does care for us knowing about his love for us his faithfulness to us his sovereignty of our lives his sure comfort The fact that we can do what Peter says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Knowing him like that means that we can trust him as the good shepherd. And he invites us into that today. There's a well-known story that the uh, Christian author Brennan Manning once told of um, an Irish priest in America. It sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it? And he, he comes back to visit his family and especially his uncle, who's just turning 80. 
and they go for a huge birthday celebration. And then one day, on the actual day of the birthday, they get up really early in the evening. And his uncle, called Seamus, wants to go walking by the lakes. And they go to uh, the shores of the lakes of Killarney, um, and they stop to watch the sunrise. And they see this beautiful thing rising in front of them. And they stood there, just side by side, not exchanging a word. And they watched a beautiful spectacle. But then suddenly the uncle turns around, smiles, and goes skipping down the road. Radiant and aglow and in bliss. And the priest tries to catch up with his uncle and says, says to him, Uncle Seamus, you look really happy. I am, lad, he replied. Would you like to tell me why? And his 80-year-old uncle replied, Yes, you see, my Abba is very fond of me. I wonder what you would know of God at the end of your life. What could you say to your children, to your nephews, about the Jesus you've got to know? Could you say that? I know that he's very fond of me. He invites you to know him as much as he knows us. Well, that was the first point. Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows us and we can know him. Secondly, Jesus is the good shepherd because he laid down his life for you and me. Verse 16 again. Sorry, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's the second time he said it, actually. It's the second reason that he gives as to why he is the good shepherd, that ultimate reason that he lays down his life for the sheep. And this is, of course, Jesus speaking about the coming cross, his lying down and then being stretched up, being nailed to a Roman cross to die for us, his sheep, that he willingly does to get in the way of that which was coming towards us. He uses the picture earlier in our reading of the wolf that attacks the flock and he says the hired man just runs away because he doesn't care about the sheep but he's the one that chooses to lay down his life to save the sheep and in one sense this doesn't quite work because no human shepherd would actually lay down their life for their sheep no sheep are that valuable sheep could be replaced But when it comes to Jesus and us as his sheep, we are so valuable that he will, and he does. And this, actually, is the ultimate testament to the fact that he is the good shepherd. That actually what was coming towards us was the wolf that would be our sin, really. What was due us, the stuff that we've done that actually we shouldn't have done that we've sinned against God, that there is right judgment because he is a righteous judge, and that the wolf, in one sense, is ourselves, that one day it might very well get us, that our sin will track us down. 
But Jesus says, no, I am the good shepherd. And I can see this thing coming. And I'm going to lay down in front of this wolf and let it tear me apart so that you never have to suffer it. You never have to deal with it. But you are protected and set free. This is how much he cares about you. This is how much he loves you. That he would willingly do that for you. Isaiah 53, looking to Jesus in advance, says this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us going to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Now hopefully in this room, this is something that most of us know. Centrality of the cross, most of us have confessed with our lips. Though maybe if you haven't, even tonight, come to that place where Jesus saves you from this stuff. But often the more relevant question, especially when we're talking about the Good Shepherd, is, well, how does that inform my daily life? How does that help me to leave tomorrow in my workplace that he is the Good Shepherd? Or believe in the midst of my family that are driving me nuts? Or that friend who I'm having a tough time with? How does it inform that? I just want to suggest two simple ways for each one of us to see Jesus this week as the Good Shepherd because of what he did at the cross. And the first one is this, to realize that he did that for you personally. Did that for you personally. The early church, Father Augustine once said, even if you were the only person on the face of the planet, Jesus would still have died for you on the cross. He loves you that much. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the billions, and he died for the one. And you just never confuse the two. He died for the billions. There's billions of followers over history. And he died for the one, and that's you. That you on his mind when he died on that cross. That he saw you in advance. That he saw you, thought, that person, she's worth he's worth it. I'm going to this awful thing because I love them. I care about them. Just put your name in that. Just put your name on his mind as he died for you. He said you were worth it. You were that valuable to him as one of his sheep. And if you were that valuable to him then, what do you think he's changed? you think you've changed enough so that you've become less precious to him? Of course not. The writer of the Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or think of it in this way. Just say Jesus' work on the cross wasn't a finished work that actually there's something left over, that actually there's still some stuff that you did that needed dealing with, I can guarantee you that tomorrow he would descend from heaven. He'd be incarnate. He'd grow to be a man and he would die on a cross to save you again. He'd do it again if he had to. But of course he doesn't need to because he's done it once for all. Nothing has changed with him. Not a single thing. 
about how precious you are to him, about actually your worth to him. And nothing could ever change it. You can't change his mind, and he won't change his mind. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for you and his flock. I invite you to stand. Now ultimately, as he laid down his life for his flock, he did that so that we could know him, that we could have that intimate relationship of love with him. And I want us to pray based on what Jesus said here for ourselves, that we might enter into these things that we might believe them in our own lives. So let's pray. I'm going to ask for the work of God's Spirit in our midst. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are here by the power of your Spirit. And thank you that you are the Good Shepherd, someone whom we can trust, who hasn't changed, who has never changed. Thank you that you laid down your life upon the cross 2,000 years ago. And thank you that you'd do it all over again if you had to for me today. And Lord, I want to come to you. And perhaps you want to put yourself into these words. I want to come to you as one of the sheep of your flock. I know that you know me. You know every single bit of me. You know my past. You know my present. You know my future. You know my hurts and my brokenness and my struggles. You know my desires to bring you honor and glory and do what's right. You know all the mixture of all the things that I am. And Lord Jesus, I ask again, please help me to know you. Help me to trust you. Help me to follow you. Help me to lean on you in the tough times. Help me to know that you are my shepherd and I shall not be in want. have a sense of the Lord specifically speaking about brokenness actually there's a sense of brokenness on the ground that you've asked that question does he really know what's going on does he really know me in my life and the answer of course is yes just a second sense of understanding and crying out for it that if you don't know what he's doing, if you don't know what he's like as well as you wish, that you can cry out to us to know 
Lord Jesus, we ask, we ask that we would know you better. We ask that we'd know you as well as you know us. Thank you for that invitation that we can know about you and we want to here in this place. Amen. We're going to carry on responding. Fern, you're going to... Thank you. When me and Rachel went to um, Ghana last year, last September, there was a real sense when we were talking to people that people knew about Jesus. They knew the story of Jesus. They knew the Bible. But there was a real lacking of, of knowing. They knew it in their head, but not in their heart. And it really touched us both when we was there. I wonder tonight, do we know that we are loved? And do we know that in our heart? And do we know that we belong in his presence and that we're valued? I just wonder if we can just close our eyes. I just wonder if there's... Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are wonderful, that you are marvellous, and that you are awesome. I just want to um, just encourage you, if you've been touched tonight by anything that was said, by how you've been led by the Spirit, then the prayer ministry team are here, and they would love to pray for you confidentially whatever's going on in your heart. And I really sense that, you know, God wants to heal somebody here tonight. I'm just going to be sat here at the front. You can come and see me or you can come and see the prayer ministry team. But just be bold and live in that freedom. So we should pray and just um, commend this to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you that you touched our hearts. Thank you that you love us all. And yet you value us. And you see so much more in us than we see in ourselves. And Lord, we pray, Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, that you will be with us. And you bless this week. And Lord, I pray that we can share your love to all we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just have one notice. This week we have the prayer course starting. It starts at 7.45. Well, 7.45 for an 8 o'clock start. That's this Wednesday. And it runs right up until Easter. So come along. It's going to be amazing.